Chapter fifty seven of the Maid of Scar. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Maid of Scar by R. D. Blackmore. Chapter fifty seven. Many weak moments. Nothing less than steadfast faith and an ancient British constitution can have enabled me to survive this highly dappled period. It was not in my body only, or legs, or parts I think nothing of, but in my brain that I felt it most when I had the sense to feel it and having a brain which has no right to claim exemption from proper work because of being under average i happened to take a long time to recover from so many spots striking inwards an empty-headed man might have laughed at the little drills into his brain-pan but with me as with a good beehive early in october there could not be the prick of a brad all but went into honey and so my brain was in a buzz for at least a twelvemonth afterwards therefore i now must tell what happened rather as it is told to me than as myself remember it only you must not expect such truth as i always give while competent after the master of the ship defence had proved so unable to defend himself general sir philip bampfylde with his large and quiet mind forbidding all intrusion opened out a little of his goodness to jack wildman there are men of the highest station and of noble intellect who do this and cannot help it when they meet a fellow-man with something in him like them there is no vanity in it nor even desire to conciliate only a little touch of something understood between them and now being brought so together perhaps by their common kindliness and with the door of death wide open as it were before them the well-born and highly nurtured baronet and the lowly neglected and ignorant savage found perhaps all the more clearly from contrast something harmonious in each other at any rate they had a good deal of talk by the side of the lonely river where even the lighters kept aloof and hugged to the utmost the opposite shore and the general finding much amusement in poor jack's queer simplicity and strange remarks upon men and things would often relax without losing any of his accustomed dignity so while they were speaking of death one day jack looked at sir philip with an air of deep compassion and feeling and told him with tearful eyes how heartily he was grieved at one thing being pressed as to what it was he answered that it was sir philip's wealth because said he i am sad when i think that you must go to hell sir i go to hell sir philip exclaimed with a good deal of rather unpleasant surprise why should i do that jack i never thought that you entertained so bad an opinion of me your honour said jack having picked up some of my correct expressions it is not me it is god almighty i was told afore ever i learned to read or ever heard of reading how it was and so it is in the bible now poor men go to heaven rich men go to hell 
it must be so to be fair for both the general had too much sense to attempt to prove the opposite and would have thought no more about it if jack had dropped the subject but to do this at the proper moment requires great civilization while on the other hand jack sought comfort needless to men of refinement your honour must go there he said with a nod of his head which was meant to settle it but there is one of your race or family or whatever word of that sort he employed for he scarce could have come to any knowledge of things hereditary who will go to heaven many are gone there already too many answered sir philip devoutly but tell me whom you mean jack do you mean my son the captain him no no i know better than that it is plain where he must go to your captain your disloyal fellow why you ought to be lashed to the triangles but who is it you are thinking of i know i know said jack nodding his head and no more could sir philip get out of him and whenever he tried to begin again jack wildman was more than a match for him by feigning not to understand or by some other of the many tricks which nature supplies for self-defence to the savage against the civilised if i had been well i must have shelved this poor jack's meaning out of him whereas on the other hand but for my illness he might never have spoken so it came to pass that he was sent entirely at sir philip's cost and with a handsome gratuity to rejoin our captain in plymouth sound and to carry back cannibals dick and joe who had scoured away at great speed upon hearing of my sudden misfortune now i will tell you a very strange thing and quite out of my experience even after smallpox which enlarged and filled me with charity as well as what i had scarcely room for increase of humility that is that though captain bampfylde had some little spare time at plymouth he had such command of himself that he never went near his beloved isabel nothing could have so checked a man of hardiness and bravery except the strongest power of honour and a long time of chastisement there was a lovely young woman and here a fine though middle-aged man her husband they loved one another with heart and soul and they never met but through a telescope it may have been right or it may have been wrong i should have thought it wrong perhaps if the case had been my own but they pledged their honour and kept it drake bampfylde like his father had a strength of trust in providence but this trust has no landed security now that the lord has found the world so clever that he need not interfere with it the seventy-four gun ship defence was known to be the fastest sailer in the british navy not from her build alone or balance but from my careful trim of her sails and knowledge of how to handle her hours and hours i spent aloft among lifts and braces and clue garnets marking the draw of every sail and writing all useless bellying so that i could now have warranted her the first of our navy to break the line if rigged according to my directions and with me for her master 
However, while I lay docked like this, careened, I might say, and unlikely ever to carry a keel again, the defence, without my knowledge even, being new-masted, sailed to join the channel fleet with heavy side, acting as her master, and as might have been expected, fell to leeward one knot in three. And even worse than this befell her, for in the second of those two miserable actions, under Hotham in the year 1795, when even Nelson could do nothing, the defence, having now another captain as well as a stupid master, actually backed her mizzen topsail in the rear of the enemy when the signal was to fill and stand on. However, as even that famous ship, the Agamemnon, did nothing that day through getting no opportunity we must forgive poor heaviside especially as he was not captain but the one who ground his teeth the hardest and could forgive nobody was the honourable rodney bluett now first lieutenant of the defence by this time every one must desire to know why captain bampfylde was not there as he might have been and might have made himself famous before his usual ill fortune this had carried him to the east indies before the defence had finished refitting and there with none of his old hands near him he commanded a line of battle-ship under commodore Rainier, and after some hard work and very fine fighting drove the brave dutchman out of the castle of trincomalee in august seventeen hundred and ninety five which we came to hear of afterwards thus it was that everybody seemed to be scattered everywhere none of us happened to hold together except those three poor savages and they by a sort of instinct managed to get over accidents for they stuck with that fidelity which is lost by education to rodney bluett as soon as ever poor father davy failed them but this is a melancholy subject and must soon be done with let me then not dwell upon this visitation of the lord for a moment longer than the claims of nation and of kin combined to make it needful nor did it seem to matter much for a long time what became of me the very first thing i remember after months of wandering has something to do with the hush of waves and the soft breath of heaven spread over me also kind young voices seemed to be murmuring around me with a dear regard and love and sense of pretty watchfulness and the sound of my native tongue as soft as the wool of a nest to my bosom because i was lying in a hammock slung by colonel lower's orders betwixt the very same mooring posts at about half-tide in newton bay which truly enabled the sons of devon to make such a safe job of stealing his rock not only the colonel but lady bluett who generally led his judgment felt by this time the pleasure of owing true gratitude to somebody my fatherly care of the young lieutenant had turned him out so nobly it misbecomes me to speak of this and it misbecame me to speak at all with the sea-breeze flowing over me the first words of knowledge that i had spoken for how long i know not nothing can be too high or too low for human nature at both ends but i ought to have known better than to do the thing i did give me a pipe was all i said and then i turned away 
and cared not whether i got my pipe or whether the rising tide extinguished me here is your pipe sir came in a beautiful voice from down below me and we have the tinder ready bunny let me do it now that pipe must have saved my life everybody said so it came and went in curls of comfort through the hollow dying places of my head that had not even blood enough to call for it and then it never left my soul uneasy about anything hammock and all must have gone afloat with the rapid rise of the spring except for colonel lower's foresight who was it that watched me so and would have waited by my side until the waves were over her who was it that kept on listening to let me know while i could not speak who was it that gave a little bit of a sigh every now and then and then breathed hard to smother it who was it or who could it be in the whole wide world but bardie not only this but when i began to be up to real sense again the kindness of every one around me made me fit for nothing in the weakness of expecting all to take advantage of me as is done in health and spirits all the weakness i could find was in my friends and neighbours always labouring to encourage me this to my mind proves almost the wrongness of expecting people to be worse than we are that winter was the most severe all over western europe known for five-and-fifty years i well remember the dreadful winter a d seventeen hundred and forty when the severn was frozen with a yard of ice and the whole of the bristol channel blocked with icebergs like great hayricks twelve people were frozen to death in our parish and seven were killed through the ice on the sea the winter of seventeen hundred and ninety five was nothing to be compared to that nevertheless it was very furious and killed more than we could spare of our very oldest inhabitants and but for the extraordinary kindness of colonel lower that winter must have killed not only me in my weak and worn-out condition but also the poor maid of scar if left to encounter the cold in that iceberg for truly speaking the poor old house was nothing else through the, that winter the snow in swirling sheets of storm first wrapped it up to the window-sills and then in a single night overleaped gables roofs and chimney-tops moxie and watkin passed a month of bitter cold and darkness but were lucky enough to have some sheep who kept them warm outside and warmed their insides afterwards and after that the thaw came but all this time there was nobody in my little cottage at newton but poor roger burkrolls and how he kept soul and body together is known to none save himself in heaven for colonel lower and lady bluett at the beginning of the frost sent down by old friend crumpy the butler to report upon my condition and to give his candid opinion what was the best thing to do with me after that long struggle now thanks to a fine constitution and the death of the only doctor anywhere on our side of bridge end i had begun to look up a little and to know the time of day 
Crumpy felt my pulse and nodded, and then prescribed the only medicine which his own experience in life had ever verified. Port wine, he said, was the only thing to put me on my legs again. And this he laid before the colonel with such absence of all doubt that on the very same afternoon a low and slow carriage was sent for me, and I found myself laid in a very snug room with the firelight dancing in the reflection of the key of the wine cellar. Also here was Barty flitting light as a gnat in springtime, and Bunny to be had whenever anybody wanted her. Only her scantling and her tonnage unfitted her for frigate service. What had a poor old fellow like me, as in weak moments I called myself, ever done, or ever suffered, to deserve to find the world an inn of good Samaritans? I felt that it was all of pure unreasonable kindness, the very thing which a man of spirit cannot bear to put up with, I have felt this often when our parson discoursed about our gracious Lord and all the things he did for us. A man of proper self-respect would like to have had a voice in it. This, however, as Hezekiah told us in the cockpit after we had pickled him, might be safely attributed to the force of unregeneracy while a man who is down in luck and constitution also trusts to any stout mortal for a loan of orthodoxy and so did i to our rector lower brother of the colonel a gentleman who had bought my fish and felt my spiritual needs to him i listened for well he read especially a psalm to which i could forever listen full of noble navigation deeper even than our soundings in the bay of biscay every night we used to wonder where lieutenant bluett was knowing as we did from my descriptions when the hob was hot what it is to be at sea with all the rigging freezing when the blocks are clogged with ice and make mysterious groanings and the shrouds have grown a beard as cold as their own name is and the deck begins to slip, and all the watch with ropes to handle spit upon their palms and strike them, dancing with their toes the while, one man to another man's, hoping to see sparks come out. So it is, I can assure you, who have never been at sea, when the barbs of icy spray by a freezing wind are driven, like a volley of languel shot raking the ship from stem to stern, shriveling blue cheeks and red noses, shattering quids, from the chattering teeth many a time in these bitter nights with the roar of east wind through the fir trees and the rattle of doors in the snowdrift i felt ashamed of my cosy berth and could not hug my comfort from thinking of my ancient messmates turned to huddled icicles but all was ordained for the best no doubt for supposing that i had been at sea through the year seventeen hundred and ninety five or even seventeen hundred and ninety six what single general action was there worthy of my presence it might have been otherwise with me there and in a leading position however even of this i cannot by any means be certain for seamen quite as brave and skilful were afloat at that very time 
however beyond a few frigate actions and matters far away from home at the cape or in the east indies i did not hear of anything that i need have longed much to partake in so that i did not repent of accepting a harbour appointment at plymouth which upon my partial recovery was obtained for me by sir philip bampfylde an old friend of the port admiral there for that good sir philip was a little uneasy after shipping me off last autumn lest he might have behaved with any want of gratitude towards me of course he had done nothing of the kind for in truth i had raved for my country so as i came to learn long afterwards that when all the risk of infection was over the doctor from barnstaple said that my only chance of recovering reason lay in the air of my native land but at any rate this kind baronet thought himself bound to come and look after me in the spring of the year when the buds were awake and the iron was gone from the soul of the earth he had often promised that fine old tyrant anthony stew to revisit him so now he resolved to kill two birds with one stone as the saying is i had returned to my cottage now but being still very frail and stupid in spite of port wine every day i could not keep the tears from starting when this good and great landowner bent his silver head beneath my humble lintel and forbade me in his calm majestic manner to think for a moment of dousing my pipe and even justice stew who of course took good care to come after him did not use an uncivil word when he saw what sir philip thought of me sir said the general to the squire after shaking hands most kindly with me this is a man whom i truly respect there seems to be but one opinion about him i call him a noble specimen of your fellow-countrymen yes to be sure answered anthony stew but my noble fellow-countrymen say that i am an irishman no doubt whatever about that your worship was the proper thing for me to reply but the condition of my head forbade me almost to shake it if it had pleased the lord to give me only a dozen holes and scars which could not matter at my time of life there would not by any means have arisen as all the old women of newton said this sad pressure on the brain-pan and difficulty of coping even with a man of anthony stew's kind but alas instead of opening out the subtle plague struck inwards leaving not a sign outside but a delicate transparency this visit from sir philip did not end without a queer affair whereof i had no notice then being set down by all the village as only fit to poke about among the sand-hills and then to die but no one could take the church clock from me till the bell should be tolling for me and as a matter of duty i drew some long arrears of salary it seems that sir philip drove down one day from pencode to look after me and having done this with his usual kindness spread word through the children who throughout our lane abounded that really none of his money remained for any more sticks of peppermint it was high time for them to think he said after ever so much education of earning from sevenpence to tenpence a week for the good of the babies they carried all the children gathered round him at this fine idea really not believing quite 
that the purse of such a gentleman could have nothing more to say and the girls bearing babes were concave in the back while the boys in the same predicament stuck out clumsily where their spines were setting drive me away said sir philip to the groom drive me straight away anywhere these welsh children are so clever i shall have no chance with them indeed your honour they is said the groom with a grin as behooved a welshman would your honour like to go down by the sea and see our beautiful water-rocks and our old ancient places to be sure said sir philip the very thing we have four hours time to dinner yet and i fear i have worn out poor llewellyn now follow the coast-line if you are sure that your master would like it lewis with this young horse and our weight behind your honour nothing ever comes amiss to this young horse here tis tire i should like to see him for a change as we do say and master do always tell me keep salt water on his legs whenever right cried sir philip who loved the spree being as full of spirits still when the air took his trouble out of him as the young horse in the shafts was so they drove away over the sands towards scar which it is easy enough to do with a good strong horse and a light car behind him and by this time the neighbourhood had quite forgotten all its dread of sandstorms in about half an hour they found themselves in a pretty place of grass and firs known as the locks common which faces the sea over some low cliffs and at the western end coves down to it this is some half a mile from scar house and a ragged dry wall makes the parish boundary severing it from scarland drive on cried sir philip i enjoy all this i call this really beautiful and this fine sward reminds me of devonshire but they ought to plant some trees here the driver replied that there was some danger in driving through scar warren unless one knew the ground thoroughly on account of the number of rabbit holes and the baronet with that true regard which a gentleman feels for the horse of a friend cancelled his order immediately but he continued i am so thirsty that i scarcely know what to do my friend llewellyn's hospitality is so overpowering the taste of rum is almost unknown to me but i could not refuse when he pressed me so it has made me confoundedly thirsty lewis your honour said lewis just round that corner in a little break of the rocks there is one of the finest springs in glamorgan finan when we call it the water does be sparkling so the groom having no cup to fetch the water stood by the horse in the little pant or comb while old sir philip went down to the shore to drink as our first forefather drank and gideon's men in the bible whether he lapped or dipped i know not probably the latter at his time of life anyhow he assuaged his thirst which rum of my quality could not have caused in a really sound constitution after taking no more than a thimbleful and then for a moment he sat on a rock soothed by the purling water to rest and to look around him the place has no great beauty as of a seaside spring in devonshire but more of cheer and life about it than their ferny grottoes 
the bright water breaks from an elbow of rock in many veins all uniting and without any cliff above them and then after rushing a very few yards through set stone and loose shingle loses its self-will upon the soft sand and spreads away over a hundred yards of vague wetness and shallow shining the mild sun of april was glancing on this and the tide just advancing to see to it when the shadow of a slim figure fell on the stones before sir philip so quietly had she slipped along and appeared from the rock so suddenly that neither old man nor young maiden thought of the other until their eyes met what why who cried the general with something as much like a start as good conscience and long service had left in him who are you who are you my dear for his eyes were fixed on a fair young damsel of some fifteen summers standing upright with a pad on her head and on the pad a red pitcher over her shoulders and down to her waist fell dark brown curls abundantly full of gleaming gold where the sun stole through the rocks to dwell in them her dress was nothing but blue welsh flannel gathered at the waist and tucked in front and her beautifully tinted legs and azure veined feet shone under it who are you my pretty creature sir philip bamfylde asked again while she opened her grey eyes wide at him e ferch or scar sir she answered shyly and with the strong guttural tone which she knew was unpleasant to english ears for it was her sensitive point that she could not tell any one who she was and her pride which was manifold always led her to draw back from questions on the other hand the old man's gaze of strong surprise and deep interest faded into mere admiration at the sound of our fine language fair young cambrian i have asked you rudely and you are displeased with me lift your curls my little dear and let me see your face a while i remember one just like it there you are put out again so it was with the one i mean when anything happened hastily the beautiful girl flung back her hair and knelt to stoop her pitcher in the gurgling runnel and then she looked at his silver locks and was sorry for her impatience sir i beg you to forgive me if i have been rude to you i am the maid from the old house yonder i am often sent for this water because it sparkles much more than our own does if you please i must go home sir she filled the red pitcher and tucked the blue skirt as girls alone can manage it and sir philip bamfylde sighed at thinking of his age and loneliness while with an old-fashioned gentleman's grace he lifted the pitcher and asked no more upon whose head he laid it end of chapter fifty seven